Welcome to another episode of Make and Multiply. This is our Monday episode when we are talking about the text of scripture that we preached on Sunday. My name is Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church in Sioux Falls, and I'm joined today by Mark Christensen. Mark, thanks for taking time to join me to meditate on this text, reflect on it. Um, Like we do every week, we sit down with a view to not just rush past the text, but to dwell on it, think about it a little bit more. And uh, we just know that's the process involved in meditating on God's word. That's how we're changed and affected by it. This is a challenging one because I preached yesterday, Exodus, really spanning chapter 20, verse 22, all the way into chapter 23, verse 19 or so. Um, So spanning four chapters of Exodus. And uh, I'm not going to read, I didn't read all of it yesterday, I'm not going to read all of it now, but I thought today, just before we jump into some discussion and and application here, um, I'd read from a different section. Yesterday, Mm. I read from the beginning of chapter 21. I'm going to just start in, toward the end of chapter 21, uh, verse 33 in the section on laws about restitution. And it says, when a man opens a pit... Or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another's so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also they shall share. Or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox, four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. And we could go on and on. Lots of these kinds of Mm. laws here in this section. So Lord, this is your word and we receive it like all of your words as true and authoritative and life-giving and edifying. Thank you that you communicate your grace to us through your word. Give us insight and understanding by your spirit that we might know you and walk in your ways in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is um, this is one of those passages, mm-hmm. <laughs> one of those sections in the Old Testament that um, I think genealogies rank up there. Sections that, at first glance, we just think, how could there be anything edifying here yeah. for one, anything useful or anything relevant to us? And then, along with genealogies, probably just sections like this of law after law after law. And unlike the Ten Commandments, which we can more quickly, I think, see like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, these are moral laws that are universally true. You get into some of these case laws in the Old Testament and you're dealing with oxen and donkeys and Mm -hmm. stuff that just feels like that's not my everyday life. And and specifically, you brought this up in your sermon too, but I was just thinking more yesterday afternoon about these are the kind of laws that an unbeliever will bring an accusation against a Christian Mm -hmm. on. And it's good for us as Christians to know how do we understand these parts of the Bible? Yeah. It's still God's word. It's from God. You started with the source yesterday. Mm -hmm. So 
if this is God's word and it's true, he's given us words. Why would God give us words that are not true? Right. So God's given it to us. How do we understand it so we can respond to those claims? Yeah. And I I do think it's um, a temptation, but really a, a danger to avoid to deal with it too simply and just kind of think in terms of like, well, Old Testament is outdated, no longer applies. So therefore that's easy. That, that is just weird or wrong or whatever. Cause yeah. as soon as you open that up, you're granting that, well, if it was, if, if it's wrong now, it was it's wrong not, then. It's not a unit. It doesn't, all scripture doesn't fit together. Right. Yeah. Right. So really that's at stake. Like if, if God gave bad laws to his people, if he gave immoral laws to his people back then, that would be a problem for us today. Right. So even if these don't apply to us directly in a one-to-one way, or we're not under the jurisdiction of Moses anymore. We still have to deal with, we do believe these came from God. Mm-hmm. So we can't just be so quick to dismiss them or, or view them as, as irrelevant. Yeah. Well, I, I spent a lot of time in this, uh, last week preparing. I did have the thought many times <laughs> really throughout the whole time. I kept thinking, Oh, we should have broken this up. We should have slowed mm-hmm. down to to go in in sections here because there there is a lot here to unpack. So I just read from laws on restitution. Um, you know, I could easily preach a, a whole sermon on that. Mm-hmm. But curious to hear um, some of your thoughts. I I shared a lot of mine yesterday in preaching. Um, what what stood out to you? Yeah, I think the big thing, and we were talking about this before we hit record here, is um, talking about God as the source of his law. Mm-hmm. Um, so all the all the words that we ascribe to God um, that are true of him, yeah. um, he's good, he's just, he's righteous mm-hmm. in all his ways. Mm-hmm. We can say the same things about his word. Um, so when we come to uh, maybe at first glance an obscure passage like this, well, all these obscure laws about oxen and slaves Mm and, um, crops. Um, we can still say with confidence that, okay, this is God's words too. He has something to say about this. Um, and since God has spoken these things, it also reflects back on who God is. Yes. Um, so from this passage you, uh, shared on restitution, God is a just God who sees to it that, um, all things will be dealt with, uh, rightly, that no person will go left with the short end of the stick. That's right. Um, and even from what you read here, God cares much more about us just gaining back what we've lost, but mm. he gives more generously. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, that was um, really encouraging to me in preparation and just reflecting on God's word and, and that observation that Psalm 119, David uses the very attributes of God to describe the word of God, mm-hmm. uh, which again, I think cautions us from thinking of those as separate things. So I, um, I think of a big name pastor and author in our country who was it a year or two ago, kind of famously said, talked about in a sermon, how we need to unhitch from the old Testament, mm-hmm. basically saying, you know, the, the old Testament is a, it's this burdensome thing that, is a stumbling block for unbelievers and Christians need to unhitch or detach from that because that's kind of just getting in the way, mm. causing too many problems and questions and whatever. And, and really it's just about Jesus in the new Testament. And so that creates that view that somehow the word of God is, can be separated from God himself mm. or 
might have flaws or imperfections or embarrassing characteristics that are different than God and what he's like. Mm. And so I think to see that, well, if God is compassionate, Exodus 22, 27, God makes that point because I am compassionate. This is how you shall deal with widows and orphans. So the laws that God is giving, he's giving as an expression of his own compassion or his own justice, his own love for truth, his own hatred of bribes and wickedness, his own hatred of uh, exploiting the poor. So so the character of God is expressed in the law of God. That's, that's crucial. And they're, and they're not cold rules that he gives either, or, you know, they've been inscribed in this book and never touched again. Mm -hmm. But your point yesterday about God is paying attention. Mm. Um, He's caring. He's intimately involved um, something that in the line of work that I'm in, um, when we give um, instructions or give rules or whatever procedures, mm-hmm. um, we're always wanting to follow up on those things and give feedback. Yep. And so we're not just putting the rule out there in space and saying, okay, you're on your own now, but God's always watching and caring and he's seeing to it that his rules are followed, yeah. um, that he's caring for the people uh, that the rules are um, applying to or pertaining to. Yep. And so that just melted made it feel so much more, um, yeah, personal in a yeah. sense that, oh, God actually does care about mm. these things. Yeah, no, that's great to hear because it is possible when it comes to rules, they can be, feel very formal, um, dogmatic, impersonal. But to know these express to us who God is, what he loves and what he hates, and he is watching over that. I think that's the very basis for, you know, I, I preached Psalm 10 a few weeks ago, an imprecatory Psalm. Those imprecatory Psalms are crying out to God mm. under the assumption God does see. He right. does see when his law is violated. He does see when people are being oppressed and mistreated, uh, sinned against. And so that really is the basis of our hope as Christians. When we cry out to God and, and make our appeal to him, these are his ways. He has revealed them and he is watching and he's mindful. Mm-hmm. He hasn't just, like you said, yeah, posted the rules on the wall and then left. Right. So that, that is a, a great comfort. Well, even later on in when we were talking about, you know, unhitching from the old Testament mm-hmm. and that idea, if you keep going down that path, okay, we get rid of the old Testament, but then what do we do with all of Jesus quoting the old Testament? Yes. Um, so you get rid of that. Um, even Jesus in, Sermon on the Mount and other sermons he preached, um, speaking of the law of God, but then taking it a step farther. Um, you've heard that is said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm -hmm. Um, and Jesus says, and you shall do this as well. Mm -hmm. So he kind of elevates the law. And so if you get rid of the foundation, how can we have Jesus words of you should do this? Right. Um, even over and beyond what the law says. Yeah. That that's, a vital point because, and I, I think this is a very common misunderstanding to, to think of Old Testament law as bad mm-hmm. or wrong or kind of like the prototype that God then comes back and goes, oh, that, that didn't work. That had a lot of bugs in it. We got to work that out and, and replace that with a, a, a better version. So then the law itself becomes, you know, under that view, there's something wrong with the law. Well, yes like the author of Hebrews says, God gives a new covenant, but what is that new covenant promise? The, the, mm. the problem was not that the laws were bad, but that they couldn't do what we need done in our hearts. Right. The law can't convert us. It can't change our hearts. It can't change our desires or justify us. But 
it does require righteousness. In that sense, it's it's good and right. So you just mentioned um, Jesus in Matthew 5. This did not make it into the sermon, although it was hmm. it was in my notes in my preparation. Um, Matthew 5, 17, where Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom Mm -hmm. of heaven. So Jesus, like you said, is not coming in to disparage the law, um, but to uphold it and fulfill it. And he's saying it it is a revelation of the righteous character of God. Mm -hmm. So... At a minimum, we learn something of God by reading these laws. Yeah. <laughs> that stands out for sure. And so for us, as we look to Jesus as the one who could fulfill the law, mm-hmm. you know, we still have remaining sin. Mm-hmm. Um, though we seek to do what is right, um, how do we seek to apply God's law in these chapters here mm-hmm. today? I don't know about you, Ryan, but I don't have many neighbors who have donkeys. Right. <laughs> so when you talk about that section on case law, can you unpack that a little more? Yeah. Well, I I think that's essential to understanding how to read these rightly. So I kind of talked about two different approaches. One would be if if you read this like regulatory, statutory law, then you would take this in a a literal one-to-one application. I use the example from Deuteronomy, the law that requires a a parapet on the roof, a a fence or a railing around your roof. And in a one-to-one reading would be, well, you got to literally go put a fence around your roof. A case law reading says, okay, so here's a situation and it's presenting in these concrete details a principle General that's going to apply. Yeah. And the, the principle is true, and that applies everywhere, but the application of it might look different in different places at different times. So in our culture, where we don't have access to our roofs to go hang out in the cool of the evening up there, it, it's not necessary to put a railing around the roof. But we do put railings on our decks because those are typically elevated and it's dangerous if somebody falls off the side. And so that same principle applies. And then when you read that, you go, okay, so this doesn't, this is not as crazy and outdated and irrelevant as it seemed. That principle still holds that property owners are responsible for the safety of people on their property. So I think an example, like, you know, here, big section in Exodus that deals with restitution and it goes through all kinds of concrete examples. Well, what about if one man's ox kills another man's ox? What if one guy is just, you know, doing some work project, digs a pit, doesn't cover it. Somebody's ox falls in it. There's another verse that talks about, um, so here is in, this is interesting. The old Testament does require that you love your enemy. Some Mm. people mistakenly think that's like a new Testament elevation of the principle. No, that's required here in Exodus. You, you have to love your enemy. And the specific command is if you see your enemy's uh, donkey wandering stray or his ox, you shall not ignore it, but you shall take it and return it to him. Mm. Or if you see your enemy's donkey laying down under its burden, you shall not ignore it, but you shall go help him. (laughs) So, you know, like you said, not an everyday situation for us, but not hard to think of similar situations that we face, like somebody with a flat tire on the side mm-hmm. of the road. What if somebody that you you know, they hmm. really dislike you, you, you pass them and they've got a flat tire on the side of the road mm-hmm. and all kinds of other scenarios that you could come up with, but the principle applies 
to lend aid to somebody in need, not turning a blind eye to that. Does that still apply? Is that still Hmm. relevant as an expression of this is what it looks like to love your neighbor, including your neighbor who doesn't like you? Because that's what an enemy is, somebody who they have something against you. Um, And I would say when you read this and understand it as case law and you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, are trying to understand what is the, the general principle of justice or truth or love that's communicated in this, it's not hard to think of modern day situations where you go, Oh, this is still applicable. There's a lot here to learn. Yeah. And the problem would be if these weren't general principles, which we've established they are, but if they weren't, then us in our new day and age, different than, you know, ancient Israel, we would need a new lawgiver. Right. Um, And then you open up this whole other path of, okay, we're without a lawgiver. Who's going to be the lawgiver by what standard? Um, according to what rules. I think the other thing that stood out to me um, with the fact that even the Old Testament um, speaks to our obligation to love our neighbor is the fact that God assumes for us to live in community. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't assume for us to live in an individualistic society. These laws aren't speaking about one person on their own. Right. It's talking about owners with slaves and one person with a neighbor and yep. their livestock. And yep. so God assumes that there's a right way to live with others, yeah. not just on our own. Oh yeah, absolutely. And morality is social. Mm. Uh, it, it is interpersonal. It's how we relate to one another. Kind of like you know, cars on the road. You might just be thinking about your car and your destination and where you're going, mm-hmm. but to get there safely, you have to pay attention to other cars and not crash into them. So rules on the road are there to keep you from crashing into other cars, rules that establish who has the right of way and what is the safe speed on this street given the traffic entering and exiting and all, all of that stuff. So likewise, God's laws are, you know, here's how to not crash into each other. Mm-hmm. And when there is a crash, here's how you establish who's in the wrong and, and how you make it right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I, I think I, I made this point yesterday that these things are, are so concrete and and it's an incredible reminder to us that issues like sin and righteousness and love and justice are concrete. They are matters of how we actually treat each other. Mm. You can't say, well, I just feel warm feelings in my heart toward everybody. And so I love everybody. No, love is acted out toward people. It's expressed in concrete ways. And so it comes out in whether or not you turn a blind eye to somebody in need and, um, you can actually have objectivity. Yes. Um, according to God's law rather than subjectivity. I feel like this is what this person should receive for the wrong they did. Right. Yeah. So I I think when we come to the new Testament then, and Paul says in places like Romans 13, love fulfills the law. Um, sometimes I I think Christians are tempted to take that and say, okay, well that's it. Then if I just, I just have to love everybody Mm -hmm. and then I don't need to pay any attention to the old Testament law because I just need to love. But, but I think it's edifying and it's worth our time to pay attention. How does the law instruct us what it means to love our neighbor? Um, because it is concrete and, and we, we love not in the abstract, but in actual actions and words and tone of voice and you know, the faces we make, you can make a disrespectful, you know, eye roll or smirk or whatever like it just it mm. comes out um either love or sin hatred so it just incredibly practical for sure another thing that stands out to me in this text is just um 
if you read through it all, you notice it uses the word if again and again and again. Hmm. It'll give a scenario and then it'll say, but if this, then this. Yeah. But if this, then then that. Here's the judgment. And so again, it's, it's one of those reminders that the circumstances matter and circumstances can be morally relevant and they can alter the cases. Okay, the case looked like this, but here here's some more information that comes to light. So I read from um, you know the section on restitution, the end of chapter 21, that deals with if one man's ox gores another one to death. All right, what do you do? Well, you split the dead beast between the two, and the guy whose ox killed the other one, he pays for it. But, change the details, what if he knew that his ox was prone to gore hmm. other animals and, and people, and he didn't do anything about it? Well, now he is in a lot more trouble because he didn't take any steps to protect people from that. If it just happened and he had no idea his ox was inclined to do that, that's different. So circumstances can be morally relevant. And I just think that is so helpful to us in in moral reasoning where we live in a society that believes morality is relative. You have your truth. I have my truth. Mm. Um, and, and that seems to solve the issues. What people realize is morality is complicated and it just seems difficult and you see it one way and I see it another way. And so here, we'll just make it easy. Everybody has their own truth and what's right for you might not be right for me. We call that moral relativism. Well, the Bible acknowledges circumstances can alter the cases, but morality is still objective. Sure. So it, but again, it doesn't just drop down on top of us in this really, you know, wooden rigid way. The truth is the same. That's unchanging. Here's how it applies in this case. But if you change these details, here's how it applies now. So circumstances are can be uh, morally relevant. So I, I just think there's there's so much instruction for us, <laughs> which is why lingering on this especially is is valuable. And I would encourage people dig into these passages, read through them, make mm-hmm. note of the ones that don't make sense. But if you do that from a perspective of confidence in God's word, rather than a fearful kind of like, oh, what if I find something embarrassing here? <laughs> yeah. You know, if you start with okay maybe I'm the one who doesn't understand what this is actually requiring. Maybe I should dig into that and pull out a commentary and look for some, some help in understanding what what was the cultural situation and and Mm -hmm. how is this an expression actually of God's justice and his compassion and his truth and all of that. Yeah. And I think too, a lot of these laws are showing how God actually cares um, about how people are treated. Yes. Um, So thinking about the slave or the daughter, um, Mm-hmm. God wants to protect people from cruelty and those who are cruel. Right. Um, and so just thinking about God's law and preaching sermons on God's law, I think to the person who says that you guys are just obsessed with God's law. And I'd say, so is God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah that's God, a good point. God loves his law. And so we want to read it. We want to understand it and mm-hmm. it applies to us still today. Um, so yeah. something that, I think this just tech, this text, um, thinking about God's law leaves me with this. I need help. Mm. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't do this all on my own. Yeah. Um, so we need to ask God to, um, help us to uphold, uh, his righteous rules yeah, and to right. obey his statutes. Um, the psalmist, I think always comes back to God. Don't forsake me. Don't leave me alone in this. I need your help. Yep. Um, yep. so that's the way we should be hopefully praying. Yeah, uh, that's through excellent. texts like this as well. That, that is a great application of all of this to just pray the way David does again and again. Teach me your ways. Yep. Teach me your rules. Um, enlighten my heart. Give me understanding. Mm. 
David is praying that, that that should be an encouragement to us. If King David is praying that, (laughs) then it's okay for us to also pray, help me to understand and to acknowledge. It doesn't always make sense to me at first. I don't read it and immediately say, ah, this, this is clear how this is good and right. But humbly asking, like you're saying for the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit and then the, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to help us walk in God's ways. Mm -hmm. I I think, uh, you know, I tried to make this point yesterday that the gospel is so much better than just God lowered the standard so that you could easily climb over it. No, that he didn't lower the standard at all, but he lowered himself. himself. He became a man yeah. and lived under the law and fulfilled the law to raise us up to new life with him. He died mm. under the curse of the law. He was raised to new life and we're joined with Jesus and raised to life in him. Not so that we can say, okay, good. Now I can just do whatever and live in my sin and wallow in this. And there's yeah. no consequence. No, Jesus raises us up with him to newness of life and empowers us by his spirit to walk in his ways. So, you know, Titus 2 talks about the grace of God has come bringing salvation for everyone, training us to renounce Mm -hmm. ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So Mm -hmm. the same grace that saves us is the grace that trains us then to walk in God's ways. And part of that training that the spirit does, it's not just this mystical, like, you know, matrix style, just downloaded into our brains, okay, you know, in, in the matrix what, what does Keanu Reeves say? I know Kung Fu. Just all of a sudden, magically, it's it's downloaded mm-hmm. and he knows how to fly a helicopter or whatever. No, it's the way the Spirit does this is we open the Word and we read it and we yeah. study it. And, and through that, the Spirit of God is training yeah. us to walk in righteousness. Yeah, that's good. And that's something we're aiming with this hear and obey habit too, whether right. it's in our huddles or in our GCs together. We're seeking to understand God's Word in community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we have the spirit of God, but we also have one another. Yeah. And so don't neglect meeting with one another. That's right. Um, that's a great so that we can understand and seek to obey and walk in all of God's ways. Yes. That's excellent. Well, this is encouraging to me. Hmm. Thank you, Mark. For, Always is. Yeah. Taking some time to reflect and, um, may God cause his word to, uh, run and to dwell deep in us. And may he sanctify us by his truth. His word is truth. Yes. Amen.